Good evening. Thousands march for abortion rights across the nation. A devastating oil spill threatens wildlife and the president's frustration. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, October 3rd, 2021. Crude was no longer leaking from a Southern California pipeline believed to be the source of a massive oil spill that closed miles of popular beaches today. That's according to the head of the company that owns the facility. Huntington Beach Mayor Lynn Semeta answered questions earlier today. As most of you know, we are in the midst of a potential ecological disaster here in Huntington Beach. And as the exhibits and pictures here illustrate, the oil spill has significantly impacted our community. At our last update, we were informed that more than 3,000 barrels of oil or 126,000 gallons have been spilled into the ocean located just off of the Huntington Beach coast and our coastal neighbors. Our wetlands are being degraded and portions of our coastline are now covered in oil. I want to reassure everyone that the overall cleanup effort is being expertly coordinated right now. The company responsible for this oil spill, which we understand to be Beta Offshore, a California subsidiary of Houston-based Amplify Energy Corporation, is working on the cleanup effort as well. We urge everyone to stay safe by avoiding the impacts and the areas that are contacted with oil. To facilitate protecting our most sensitive and ecological locations, the city proactively laid a total of 2,050 feet of protective booms at seven separate locations. Unfortunately, as a result of this oil spill, we are starting to see oil-covered fish and birds washing up along our coastline. In a year that has been filled with incredibly challenging issues, this oil spill constitutes one of the most devastating situations that our community has dealt with in decades. To see the environmental impact on our shore, to me, is absolutely devastating. And we're gonna do everything that we can to clean that up quickly and make sure that the responsible parties do their part as well. There's oil deposits all along the shore, and you can see the oil slicks out in the ocean. And so we know that there's going to be a lot more hitting our shores over the next few days. And as the mayor of Huntington Beach, Lynn Semeta, divers were still trying to determine where and why the leak occurred. But the flow of oil was stopped late Saturday from the line that runs under the ocean off Huntington Beach, a seaside city south of Los Angeles. Other officials fielded questions on the extent of the spill. In a few hours, made the decision to to stop the air show. And so I do think that that was the right decision. And I don't think there was any delay intentional is just a matter of gathering the facts and making a responsible decision giving the significant impact that it would have on the economy and the operators my understanding is that the oil spill did not come up to the shoreline yet until late last night uh, but as the uh, i mentioned earlier we will issue a health advisory this afternoon as well to inform the public should they have any problem so when the when the oil is captured, um, if it's successfully captured, it's treated as a, a through a hazardous material disposals process. So we have three platforms. Um, this is a processing platform, platform Ellie, 
Um, it is a 17 and a half mile pipeline to the shore. It is um, about four and a half miles off the shore is where the potential source of the leak occurred. It is heavy crude oil that is pumped through that pipeline. It was shut down, yes, Saturday night. We're still investigating whether it's a leak, a you know, a more substantial leak. We don't know yet until the divers are have a chance to go down there and really investigate. The pipeline's on the bottom, so it's about 80 to 100 feet down. The wells are, it's a long way away from the wells themselves. It's all It all comes into one processing platform, and then it's just one pipeline to the shore. So it's produced by a number of wells. But these are a dozen miles at least away. There's 70 or so wells, yeah. There's two producing platforms, and then they connect into a processing platform where the water is separated, and we reuse the gas, and it's just crude oil that's sent to the shore. We've had some questions about sensitive habitat in the area. That's our priority. Uh, California Fish and Wildlife actually has strategies on the books to pre, to that we've developed ahead of time to protect those sites. So we've we have the containment boom around those areas. So we're working as a priority to protect the most sensitive habitat in the area, which is the Bolsa Chica wetlands, obviously, among others. The spill comes three decades after a massive oil leak hit the same stretch of Orange County coast. On February 7th, 1990, the oil tanker American Trader ran over its anchor off Huntington Beach, spilling nearly 417,000 gallons of crude fish and about 3,400 birds were killed. And the first women's march of the Biden administration headed straight for the steps of the Supreme Court on Saturday, part of nationwide protests that drew thousands to Washington to demand continued access to abortion in a year when conservative lawmakers and judges have put it in jeopardy. Demonstrators filled the streets surrounding the court, shouting, my body, my choice, and cheering loudly to the beat of drums. A Native American group sang the woman warrior song. the Native American singing group doing the Woman Warrior song. Various leaders from the abortion rights movement spoke. Alexis McGill Johnson, the head of Planned Parenthood, was the lead-off speaker. Yeah, we got to keep on fighting. We can't give up. Because you see, not only is abortion health care, but my organization, we believe that it's also self-care. And we say that loud and proud, that it is self-care. And so while we seek to do what we need to do to take care of ourselves, then we're going to keep on giving it to Texas. This year alone, we have seen nearly 600 restrictions introduced in 47 states. So no matter where you live, no matter where you are, this fight is at your doorstep right now. Look, y'all, this moment is dark. It is dark, but that is why we are here. 
movements exist because of darkness. And it is our job to imagine the light even when we can't see it. And there were other speakers as well as the day wore on across the country. Listen, each of us has the same defiant spirit that beckons us to fight. And we know this is the fight of our lives. This is the fight that all other fights have prepared us for. I know some of you are scared or even terrified, but let me tell you, God has placed our judgment on the other side, our justice on the other side of terror. I know some of us are angry. I know some of us are sick of this fight and some struggle to go on. But I'm here to remind you that each and every one of us comes from something greater. Some call it God, some call it Allah, some call it spirit, the goddess Buddha, Jehovah, the divine mother. And some of us have no name for it because it comes from within our own minds. Whatever you call it, that thing is what drove us here. That is what will give us the energy to keep fighting. Make no mistake. We are not just fighting for our right for abortion justice. We're fighting for our children's right to thrive. Because we know that when we take a stand, we're fighting for our rights. When we take a break, we're fighting for our rights. When we resist, we're fighting for our rights. When we get an abortion, we're fighting for our rights. When we have our babies, we're fighting for our rights. When we march at any march at any time, we're fighting for our rights. When we're in joy, we are fighting for our rights. When we don't agree, we are fighting for our rights. When we support and care about every single person on the planet, we are fighting for our rights. While I am glad to be here with you all, the circumstances under which we are gathered is anything but positive. We are at a critical moment for access to abortion in our country. And I will not hide from the fact that as a provider of comprehensive reproductive health care that will always include abortion care, this moment is truly frightening. Just over one month ago, our friends, families, our comrades in Texas had access to abortion change overnight with the passage of SB 8, essentially nullifying the already threadbare protections of Roe versus Wade. The promise of abortion access to, for the millions of people in need of compassionate care in the state of Texas is an empty one. My colleagues who received the same training that I did to provide abortion care were suddenly forced by this medically unnecessary, dangerous law to turn away patients after six weeks of pregnancy. Thankfully, providers of abortion care in surrounding states have opened their doors to patients who are now forced to travel out of state to get their essential care if they have the resources to travel at all. But it does not have to be this way. Everyone should be able to get the care that they need in their own community. At New York's rally, thousands gathered to Foley Square and marched to Washington Square Park. Governor Kathy Hochul was a speaker. 
sick and tired of having to fight over abortion rights. It's settled law in the nation, and you are not taking that right away from us. Not now, not ever. And my heart goes out to the places, the women in places like Texas and Georgia and Missouri and so many others. And 58% of women who are reproductive age live in states where they're trying to strip those rights away. That is a crime. And we have to stand up for them. And that was the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul. The New York and Washington marches were among hundreds of anti-abortion-themed protests held around the country Saturday. The demonstrations took place two days before the start of a new term for the Supreme Court that will decide the future of abortion rights in the United States after appointments of justices by President Donald Trump strengthened conservative control of the high court. Meanwhile, the day before the march, the Biden administration urged a federal judge to block the nation's most restrictive anti-abortion uh, law, which has and most abortions in Texas since early September. It's one of a series of cases that'll give the nation's divided high court occasion to uphold or overrule Roe versus Wade. And in more news from Washington, with his domestic legislation not moving on Capitol Hill, even after his trip there on Friday, President Biden insisted success is still possible, saying he'll work like hell to achieve it. But the president didn't try and sugarcoat the situation on Saturday. Everybody's frustrated. It's part of being in government. Being frustrated. Hey, look, one of the things I love about you guys, I watch you today. Biden vowed he's going to do this. Biden commits. Biden's going to work like hell to make sure we get both these passed. And I think we will get them passed. Well, they and I'd be on the phone with them a lot and maybe meeting with some. It's understandable. There's an awful lot that's in both of these bills that everybody thinks they know, but they don't know what's in them. I, when, you, when you go out and you test each of the individual elements in the bill, everyone is for them. Not everyone. Over 70% of the American people are for them. For example, my objective here is to make sure we put in place the things that are going to make life more livable for ordinary people. I mean that sincerely. It's not a, that's not a political statement. It's a reality. President... Biden speaking about his frustration. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sent a letter to House Democrats on Saturday saying that the decision to delay the vote on the infrastructure bill to focus on the economic bill was made because more time was needed to reach our goal of passing both bills, which we will. Meanwhile, House Progressive Caucus Chair Pramilia Pramila Jaipal said Sunday that the $1.5 trillion figure for the economic bill was too small, but wouldn't say whether she would accept the $2.1 trillion price tag that's being floated. She spoke with reporters yesterday during a press stakeout in the Capitol. He's the president and he is wonderful. And he um, was really clear that we need to get both bills done. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to get both bills done. He was very clear the two are tied together. We're going to have to get. And look, he said, I support the BIF entirely. If I thought I could do it right now, I would. We need to get this reconciliation bill. And, and you know, it's going to be tough. Like, we're going to have to come down in our number and we're going to have to do that work. So we're going to get to work and see what we can get to. Uh, Jayapal has emerged as a key negotiator over the bill. 
Nancy Pelosi delayed bringing the $1 trillion infrastructure bill to the floor for a vote last week. Progressives threatened to withhold support for the bill until details are ironed out for the separate massive social benefits and climate spending bill that most support behind the leadership of Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. And in more California news, on Friday, the state became the first to announce a COVID-19 vaccination requirement for all public and private school children, a move affecting millions of students and once again placing the state at the forefront of strict pandemic safety measures. Governor Gavin Newsom had this to say. We are announcing here today a statewide requirement for in-person instruction for all of our children to add to a well-established list that currently includes 10 vaccinations and well-established rules and regulations that have been advanced by the legislature for decades to add to that list the vaccination uh, for COVID-19. We intend to do that once the FDA has fully approved the vaccine, which will give us time to work with districts, give us time to work with parents and educators to build more trust and confidence. Governor Gavin Newsom of California. Meanwhile, anti-vaccination protesters who work in the health industry in California had their own protest. So we're standing up against vaccine mandates. Today is the day that we all go on suspension. We have until the end of the month to get vaccinated or we're fired. Well, at first I was a little depressed because I've been in healthcare for eight years and I thought I was going to lose my career. Um, there are private practices and other clinics who do believe in what I believe in and are against vaccine mandates. And I think I'll get another job. It's just I know it's going to be really difficult for all these healthcare workers. I'm currently suspended. And if I do not comply to get the vaccine by November 1st, I will be terminated. Initially, uh, I was mad after everything I did as a nurse throughout the whole year during the pandemic. I just felt betrayed. I don't think it's fair to force something where we don't fully know the the risk, especially in these patients who recovered. I'm not anti-vax. I had COVID in the beginning of last year. Um, my faith, I believe that natural immunity can get through all things. And if anything happened to me with a side, side effects, for example, you know, and something happens to me, who's going to take care of my family? I'm the number one uh, breadwinner for the family. The California vaccination mandate would take effect for grades 7 through 12, starting with the school term following the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's full approval of the vaccine for children's ages 12 and older. Governor Newsom has announced that students in kindergarten through sixth grade would be phased in after the vaccine has been approved for their age group. In New York City, according to a United Federation of Teachers news release, the courts have cleared the way for the city to begin enforcing. This was last week, the city's vaccine mandate for school employees. The city estimates that 97 percent of the teachers have been vaccinated. There are no mandatory vaccinations for students in New York City schools yet. Closer to home, mayor to be or the most likely person to win the upcoming election to become mayor, Eric Adams, a Democratic nominee, was out in Coney Island last week. He had a few interesting things to say about the environment, Rikers Island and COVID. He laid out his plans for the city's take on COVID in the Eric Adams administration. Real religious exemptions that your religion 
historically has been against vaccine. You can't all of a sudden create it now. But if historically that is what you what you believe, we have to respect that. And so I don't think there's just a blanket policy. I think that we need to have a real communication because this is a frightening time for people. But we can't lose to COVID. We can't close out down our cities. I was on the ground. I saw people dropping off their loved ones to hospitals, never to see them again. This is a real threat. And we have to be very clear to New Yorkers. But at the same time, I think we could talk to our unions and get to where we want to get to. Thank you. And Adams uh, also spoke to the events at Rikers Island uh, in just the past few weeks. There have been 12 deaths, of which several were suicides. Others are still being investigated. The uh, undermanned, understaffed prison island has been facing extreme problems. And Mayor de Blasio has basically said it should be closed. There are about 5,000 people still there. Eric Adams, who ran on a, uh, in part, tough on crime approach to uh, the problems that have been hitting New York since COVID, had this to say about his plans for uh, how to handle the situation at Rikers Island. A huge believer in uh, closing Rikers Island, and this is not a new issue for me. I've been advocating for the unfair treatment of prisoners and officers at Rikers Island. That is often ignored. The, the officers at Rikers Island, those are parents, children, spouses, but no one seems to acknowledge what they are going through. And they did not commit a crime to do, to be there. And we, we, we just forget about their existence, doing triples, having human waste thrown on them, uh, being assaulted. Uh, the life that they're living is unbelievable. Uh, over three weeks ago, I walked through Rikers Island and spoke to the inmates and the officers. So, yes, let's close Rikers Island, as is stated, but let's not displace the problem. Because if you take the condition and put it in a smaller jail, all you did was make a smaller crisis. And I don't want to do that. People talk about closing the building. I say, let's close the pipeline that feeds the building. Thirty percent of our prisoners in the country, according to one report, are dyslexic. So that's why I'm talking about dyslexia screening in all schools so we can prevent the problem. Forty eight percent of those inmates have mental health illnesses. They shouldn't be there. Fifty five percent have a learning disability. Why aren't we identifying them? So the problem that people have with what Eric Adams is saying that I don't want to create people that treat symptoms. We must go to the underlying causes. And that is the most probable person to be elected mayor in November's election, Eric Adams. His opponent is a GOP candidate and guardian angel, Curtis Sliwa. And finally, just days after it was moved to Union Square, a statue of George Floyd was vandalized. A cleanup effort led by Confront Art is underway after gray paint was splattered across the statue. Police say the Parks Department discovered the paint shortly after 10 this morning. Floyd Floyd's was one of three statues recently unveiled in Union Square. The other two include Breonna Taylor and John Lewis. Police don't have any information as at this time as to who may be responsible for the vandalism. The statue was first unveiled in Brooklyn in June. It was faced there as well with black paint and the logo of a white supremacist group. And that's some of the news for Sunday, October 3rd, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>